Thank you for downloading the following message from the Pickerington Church of Christ. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you walk with the Lord. For more information or to find additional resources, locate us on the web at pickeringtonchurch.org. Enjoy the message. I was in Elyria, Ohio yesterday. You know where that is, Todd? Yeah. Brown's territory. Took a shower when I got home. <laughs> I was officiating the wedding for a good friend of mine. He came about a month ago. His name was Adam. I introduced you all to him. Um, grew up playing Little League together and uh, known each other a long, long time and was had the privilege of officiating his wedding. And after the wedding, we're at the reception and I was so low, so I was just mingling with people and doing what I normally do. And uh, one guy came up who was a friend of the the bride's father, older gentleman who had spent a lot like years in insurance business and was talking to me. And he asked me, out of nowhere, just randomly, he goes, "What is the most challenging thing about your job?" I'm like, oh, okay, we could do this for about twenty minutes. Let's go. And, you know, and we were waiting for dessert anyway, so. Uh, I started to think about that and I had to ponder for a minute, you know, because secretly, like, ministry is a great job. I really enjoy it. And he said, well, so what's the most challenging thing about your job? And I, and I finally came to this answer. I said, it's ensuring that we keep the main thing the main thing. Ch- church does a lot of really good things. We do a lot of really enjoyable things. Um, we have a lot of ideas and a lot of important things we think about, whether it's caring for the poor, fellowshipping together, worshiping. Um, there's a lot of things that transpire, but one of the challenges is that we make sure we don't forget what we're really trying to do in the midst of all the good things we're doing. Does that make sense? Like, like we got to make sure we know exactly what we're trying to do. And as I think about Jesus building the church, the church that he built, and the one that he is building today, and the one that we want Jesus himself to build here. And that's a crucial distinction I want every member here to know about. That we don't want to build a church from our own wisdom, from our own hands, from our own ideas. We want Jesus Christ to build something in us and among us that's from him and about him. And as you think about the church that Jesus builds... And the one that we pray that he's building here, that church is built to change people's lives. Christianity is a lost to found religion. It is a dead to alive faith. It is an enslaved to liberated lifestyle. It's an alone to fully embraced by God relationship. And this changing of life is more than just a single moment, like you pivot on one day and go from one place to the next, and then that's done. Christianity is a lifetime of transformation. That when we begin, we're born into the family of God. And for the remainder remainder of our years on earth, the church comes around believers to help them become more and more like Jesus Christ from infant all the way to mature in Jesus. And you know, once we become Christians, almost immediately there's an instinct in us. Our attention turns towards 
reaching out to other lost people to share that with others. And we here at Pickerington talk a lot about making disciples, which means to help lost people be saved, but also help save people to become like Jesus, right? And we talk a lot about making disciples. And that's a natural reaction. We see this happen every time people interact with Jesus. They want to, you know, go out and tell other people about Jesus Christ. And that's a great thing. As a church here, we contemplate how we can best equip people to go make disciples. But the thing we cannot forget, the main thing is, one of the most powerful forms of Christian witness is Christian transformation. That when people see lives change, it's a testimony that Jesus really does work. The number of times that Jesus save somebody, change their life, open their eyes, help them walk, and they would come to Jesus and say, oh, thank you so much. Can I now follow you the rest of my life? Jesus would say, no, I want you to go back home and declare to the people that you know the great things God has done for you. Christian transformation is the catalyst of Christian witness. And that's what we're supposed to be doing. In our text this morning, as we bring this series, We Are One, to a close, we're talking about our future, our goal, what Jesus is trying to accomplish. Paul reminds us of this pursuit of transformation. Look in verse 13. There's a phrase there. He says in verse 11, he gave these leaders to the saints to equip them in verse 12 for ministry, for the work of ministry, the building up of the body of Christ. Verse 13 says this, that this ongoing ministry that members of the body are contributing to one another, verse 13 says this, that goes on until every single member attains unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God. That, that striving to attain something, this working towards something, until we all attain, there is a pervasive sense of striving that must exist in the church that we are a part of. A hunger, a striving, a wanting, a desiring, a growing. I'm not talking about a worldly sort of hunger that wants more and more consumerism. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about is the hunger and thirst for righteousness that Jesus said a blessed person would have. This kind of desire to be more like Jesus. This kind of desire to shed away more of our sin and pursue more fullness and righteousness. That should be the pervasive nature of our gathering, of our fellowship, of our family here. This striving to become one. The church exists to support and to facilitate the growth of Christians to become more like Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. And so our ethos at this place must contain a striving together spirit. And here I want to show you what Paul says we should be striving for. Let's look at this and make sure we see exactly the kind of things we should be hungering for together so that we can grow to become like Jesus. The first thing he says that we ought to be striving for is unity. Now, that's great. We've been talking about that, this idea of real godly biblical unity for the last 13 weeks. That's what we've been talking about. We want to have, as Paul said at the beginning of this chapter, to maintain the unity that comes from the Spirit of God to be in this place, that we are bonded together in an unbreakable fashion. And he says that you and I must strive for, work towards, attaining the unity of the faith. Unity of the faith. What does Paul mean when he says unity of the faith? We well, explains it. He says at the end of verse 13 that 
You and I are to pursue the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. You see, our unity revolves around the knowledge of Jesus Christ. If there's something that's going to pull us all together to the center, if there's something that's going to be magnetizing to us to bring us together as one, may it only be the knowledge of Jesus Christ. There's a lot of things that can make people get together. Similar likes, similar interests, rooting for the same team, having the same sort of political affiliations, coming from the same neighborhood, working in the same career. There's a lot of elements that can make people come together and exist together in a community. We must ensure that this community centers around the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Paul is focused on Christians being fully united around this person, this work of Jesus. In fact, he would tell Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, the minister there in Ephesus, he said, listen, you got to make sure you pay attention to the doctrines of the stewardship of the faith that bring people around Jesus. And he says, don't worry about the things that lead to endless speculations and genealogies and stuff that distract people away from Jesus. Now, from that point in first century until now, a lot of theology, thinking about writing about God, a lot of good theology has happened. But the main thing that unites believers is what you think and what you believe about Jesus Christ himself. When he says the faith, it is not just a set of personal beliefs, like I've got faith in this or faith in that, like personally, individually. He's talking about a collective view of life in light of Jesus Christ. Build upon the truth. I want you to imagine for a moment this. It's going to be difficult for us because of the environment we live in. I want you to imagine that this is the only church that you could go to at all. That when you, you know, you wake up, you live in this area, and this is the only gathering of Christians in this area. I'm not talking about churches of Christ. I'm talking about the only place where christians gather who name the name of jesus who listen to the word this is the only place that exists and christianity is valuable to you you you're convinced of it the church is valuable to you and this is the only place because outside in the world people are hostile towards christianity people are angry about it people are persecuting it and this group right here is the only gathering of believers that hold on to that faith imagine that for a moment what that would be like how serious will we take our unity on Jesus. If the survival of our local church was just this place. That's what Paul was talking about in Ephesus. That's all they had. They lost family. They lost friends. They lost jobs for their profession of faith. And what they had was the collection of believers who said, I know Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died and raised again. That's what they had. Imagine that. That's why Paul was so serious about that when he taught to the church in Rome and the church in Corinth. You have this recorded in your scriptures when he would say things like, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are beneficial. He's saying, there's some things I can do, there's some things I can think, there's some things I can say, there's some things I can even believe, but not all of it is beneficial to the body, so it's not essential. Paul would tell us in Romans 14 and 15, they were dealing with the issue of like meat sacrificed to idols in the marketplace and some people were offended about it and some people weren't. And he says, listen, here's what matters. Be mature. Make sure that you can lay aside some of those things. If there's meat that's sacrificed to idols, be considerate of your brother and sister in Christ. It is not worth 
crucifying their faith in Jesus over something that you want. Do you see how serious this was? And in our luxury and comfort and ease, we've forgotten that Jesus Christ is central. and We must bind together around Him. You see, unwillingness to listen, pardon me, let me, let me back up and say it this way, that most church division does not revolve around what people think about Jesus. Rarely have I heard in 20 years now of ministry a church that divides over, did Jesus really raise from the dead? Was he really the Son of God? Rarely. Most church division revolves around pride and around preference. An unwillingness to listen. A lack of humility. Not willing to learn. Wanting it our own way. And for us to have unity, you and I must die to our pride and downgrade our preferences. To highlight and lift up Jesus Christ. Now, this does not mean we don't have doctrine. This doesn't mean that we don't hold things seriously. In fact, in this place, we firmly hold a set of doctrines that we believe that we won't shake on. We baptize for the remission of sin in this church. We practice communion like we just did a few minutes ago weekly in this church. We sing with simplicity without the instrumental music to worship in this church. But if we don't baptize people into Jesus... And if we don't commune with Jesus and we don't worship and serve God through Jesus Christ and His greatness, we're no better off if we didn't. You understand? It's Jesus Christ. The substance of our preaching, our praying, our worship, our friendships has to be that urge that Paul had when he said, I want to know Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The power of resurrection, the fellowship of the suffering that I may one day attain to the resurrection of life. So our striving for unity revolves around the knowledge of Jesus Christ, and we must lift him up high. But we also must strive for, as you see in verse 13, he says we strive for this attaining of unity, the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature manhood. Striving for maturity. That's what we really need to be growing towards. When we focus on Jesus Christ, we will grow in our maturity. We'll grow up. We'll stop acting like children. Look in verse 14, he says, that I want you to attain this knowledge of the Son of God. I want you to be a mature manhood, the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ. 14, so that, here's why I want you to mature. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with the every wind of doctrine. He's saying, I want you to grow up. As Christians, I want you to stop acting like children. I want you to mature in your faith. I want you to act like adults. The goal is to not be infants anymore. While infants are adorable and cute, they require a lot of attention, right? Right? Yeah. And they're adorable and they're beautiful and we love them and we're so happy to have them be a part of our family. But they require attention. And over time, we want them to mature and to grow up. Christianity has seasons just like our physical life has seasons. In this place right now, we have spiritual infants that are new to Jesus Christ, brand new in the Spirit. They need a lot of a care. And I want to say this, if you are new to the faith, there is absolutely no shame to being a spiritual infant. When you are born into Jesus Christ, there is zero shame in that. There is zero to be embarrassed about that. No more than just a physical infant when it's born to be embarrassed for being an infant. When you're born into Christ, you need people to gather around you and lift you up, strengthen you, support you, care for you 
In this place, we have spiritual children who are slowly learning, blossoming, finding themselves, how they fit into the family. That's wonderful. Spiritual, we got some spiritual teenagers. Uh Uh-oh. You know something cool about teenagers? You guys right? Hey, Victoria, good to see you. Teenagers have the most energy, the biggest goals, great aspirations. So valuable for the body, isn't it? To listen to these young people who have aspirations and goals. And we've got people in the faith who have big aspirations and big goals and say, I see what I see in the Bible and I see what I see in us. And we've got places to go, people. But sometimes as teenagers, we don't know what we don't know. Right? And so we've got spiritual teenagers. We've got spiritual young adults who are awkwardly moving into the adult phase. It's really weird, guys. You'll get there, I promise. Taking on responsibilities, and they surprise themselves sometimes when they do it well. Like, whoa, look at me. I'm like doing this adult thing. They even turned it into a verb, right? Adulting. We've got spiritually mature people. Those who have figured out that life is about responsibility and calling and purpose and serving. And it's not about you anymore. But some of those are still a little bit anxious about how to do that. And that's why we've got spiritual legacy people. Some of you are older in the faith. They've been around here a long time. Boy, your calm presence, your confidence in God and His Spirit is so useful to us who are trying to do what God wants us to do. And you remind us, hey, we'll get there. Just be patient. And pouring that wisdom back into younger people. You see, we're supposed to be like a family in that way where we have all kinds of different ages of faith growing into maturity. But here's the thing about maturity. Both in your life and in your spiritual life. Maturity doesn't happen automatically. Age does not make you mature. The number of years you've lived does not make you mature. The number of years you've been a Christian doesn't make you a mature Christian either. Maturity is produced, pardon me, not by time, but by truth. Maturity does not happen just because you've been around a long time. You're not all of a sudden mature in the faith just because you've been doing this 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Maturity is in response to truth. It's defined by discernment. Do you make wise decisions based upon what you know in reality? Do you take up responsibility? Do you respond to things that are true and say, I need to sacrifice for what's more important? Do you listen to the truth of God because you know His way is better than yours and with great humility and maturity walk into doing things the way God has described? That's what maturity is. This church is supposed to be like a family raising kids. I see this in my family. I've got three kids, you know, and when Elena was born, we did everything for her, right? We made her breakfast. We took care of her. And then she started to get older. And then we had more kids. And as she matured, we called upon her to help with some of the younger kids, right? Especially with Nash right now. And that's great. We all need to be supporting each other in our growth in Jesus Christ. But listen, church, maturity is about more than just knowing things. It's about actually how we live. And so here's the final thing that we need to strive for. Not just a unity around who Jesus is or a maturity like knowing the truth, but you and I also need to strive for Christ-likeness. Maturity is about acting on what you know, actually doing it, not just thinking about it. And our standard for maturity, what makes us mature in Jesus Christ, is not a list of rules that we can rattle off. 
it's not even a list of character traits that we find in the Bible. Our standard for maturity is the person of Jesus Christ. How mature we are is how much we look like Jesus. That's what maturity is. You see what he says at the end of verse 13? He says, until we attain to the knowledge of the unity of the faith, pardon me, and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Jesus Christ. That's what we're aiming for. That's what we want to do. Do we look like Jesus and act like Jesus? Do we talk like Jesus? Do we live like Jesus? For us to profess that Jesus Christ is the guide and direction and Savior of our life and then not live like Him is what the Bible defines as hypocrisy, right? To say your one thing but to do another thing. And the Bible is so serious about this warning. James would tell us, don't just be hearers of the Word, be doers of the Word. Jesus says, you, you people honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. He's very concerned about the practice of hypocrisy. But I want to give you one word about hypocrisy very carefully here. We've got to be careful with hypocrisy because it is a trap of discouragement that Satan uses for Christians. Satan is masterful at taking people who are striving to mature in their faith and whisper to them constantly that they're just a hypocrite because they're not perfect. Listen, failing, pardon me, failing is not hypocrisy. Pretending is hypocrisy. Failing is not hypocrisy, pretending is. So if you lose your temper one day, or you give in to a temptation, or you disregard somebody in, maybe in need that you see it, and you know it, and you failed, in that moment you failed, but you're not necessarily immediately a hypocrite. You become a hypocrite when you pretend like you don't fail. I hear a lot of Christians struggling with when they fall short. You know, the gap between here's Jesus and here's me. And that space must mean that I'm a hypocrite. Hypocrite is when you pretend like you've got it together. You see, Christianity is tied and tethered to Jesus by confession and repentance. You and I are striving for perfection, but we probably won't get there until Jesus returns. Christianity is tethered to Jesus Christ. It's tied to Jesus Christ. It's held to Jesus Christ by our confession of sin and our repentance back to Him. It's what makes us walk this walk of life. It is so simple to walk the Christian life, yet it's so difficult, challenging to us. You and I must adore Him, honor Him, submit to Him together. And when we do that, we'll become like Him. Go down and look at verse 15. I'll show you this last part. He says, speaking the truth in love, after he tells us about growing up and not being children, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, Christ. So every one of us are to grow up in all aspects of our life, are to mature into the head, Jesus Christ. Now watch what he says. From whom Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love joined and held together the grace of god that has come through jesus christ to each and every one of us as we are individually maturing into jesus to become more like him in every way of our life are not just to do that on an isolated path by ourselves. He says you are joined 
and held together like a joint in your body that holds together the lower part of your arm, the upper part of your arm, that joint. He says you are to be joined together, meaning that we don't do this adoration and honor and submission on our own. We do this as a community. That our relationships in the church become God-honoring, Christ-adoring relationships. That He becomes central to what we're doing together. And when we do that, it says that we build each other up. We edify each other. Not in anything else other than love. Love. For us to build each other up in love, we've got to be first recipients of love. That's where it all starts. John told us that you love Him because he first loved you every ounce of love that you have to pour back to god or pour out to others is filled up by the love of god that you receive so the more you receive the more you can give and if we want to build this body up in love we've got to be people that open ourselves up to the love of god that's why paul in chapter 3 would pray on his knees begging before god give these christians the strength they need to know that they are loved by jesus christ the width, the depth, the height, the breadth, to know something that is beyond any comprehension, how much Jesus loves you. So if you find yourself disconnected from this body, maybe a little bit detached, stagnant, not growing, maybe you've forgotten or grown cold around Jesus, step one is to turn back to receiving how much Jesus Christ loves you. And when that pours into your life, it stirs up a fuel that begins to drive you towards the love of Jesus and the love of your brothers and sisters. If we can help you do that, let us help you get you connected to the love of Jesus. Let's stand and sing.